past week we spent in Colorado and we went there for spring break and to spend some time uh, with my parents. Uh, They just recently moved to Woodland Park, which is just to the west of Colorado Springs. They have retired and got a little cabin up there with a forest in the backyard and deer that they were hand feeding carrots to. I don't know if they should be doing that, but they were and it was pretty awesome. And we had such a good time with them. One of the things that we love to do uh, when we're there, though, is my dad and I love to sneak away for a day of fishing. And so on Tuesday morning of this past week, uh, we snuck out early, my dad, my brother-in-law, and I, and we hiked into this beautiful canyon called Cheeseman Canyon. We got to the parking lot early and not early enough because there was tons of cars and so many fishermen. I was like, I want to go back to Montana. That was my first thought. I was like, you can have Colorado. Uh, I want to go back to Montana where there's a few less people. Um, And we hiked out of that parking lot and up about a mile and a half into this gorgeous canyon. The only way to get in there is hike in, hike out. And so we got about a mile and a half in. We came to this big, huge pool and I said, hey, let's, let's set up here. The three of us can all kind of fish. And so we started fishing and um, immediately got into a couple fish. And then my dad, he really started catching fish. I mean, and, and, and his fish were like, well, I, I mean, I could lie to you, but I, I'm going to actually show you a picture so you know I'm not lying. This is my father and one of the trout that he caught. So that's a beautiful rainbow trout. Uh, that thing's got some pounds on it. And that was just one of several fish that he caught, um, and then he released him so gently. Uh, there's another picture of him releasing a fish <laughs> super gently. <laughs> I've got a whole roll of my dad with flopping fish, and I don't know when I'm going to use it, but I did today. Um, you never know when you need those kind of pictures. We had a wonderful day, uh, but one of the things that happened while we were in there, my dad uh, forgot a hat, and uh, he forgot sunscreen. And so it was a 70 degree day. It was absolutely gorgeous. And the sun was beating down on us all day long. And so by the end of the day, my dad resembled something more like a lobster than like a human being, right? 
And I kept saying, Dad, you got to take a break. And he did for a little while with me, but he was just getting super sunburned and, and was like really into fishing and was catching fish. And it's hard to get him to come out of the river to take a break. And, and so we had this long hike in, long hike out. Once we got out, then we decided to go fishing for a couple more hours at a different spot. And so we, we had fully exhausted him and ourselves by the end of the day. And so the next morning, I woke up and... I said to mom, where's dad? Well, he's still in bed. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, it was a long day yesterday. And he kind of moseys out of bed. And then he goes and he sits down in like this lazy boy and he immediately falls back asleep. And he wakes up about an hour later. I'm like, dad, how you doing? He's like, I am, I am not feeling good. He's like really nauseous and not, not feeling great and very sunburned. So we didn't, we don't know if it was like a lack of water, which he probably got a little dehydrated, too much sun, which he for sure got that, uh, or the long hike in, long hike out, all of those things compiled. And he was sick, like really sick all day long. My dad basically slept all day the day after that fishing excursion. He was, he was fine by Thursday, but he paid for it. He was sick. I want to start by asking this question. When was the last time that you were really sick? When was the last time that you were really sick? It's almost taboo to ask that question anymore, isn't it? They're like, are you, you hear somebody sneeze and you're like, I'm not sick. I just, I'm not sick. Just to let you all know, I'm not, I'm fine. I'm doing okay. No fever, no fever over here. It's like taboo to talk about being sick anymore. In fact, I told that story and immediately, you know what happened? Somebody said to me, did he get COVID? I'm like, no, no, he's in the sun too long. Like that. Like, it's a weird, weird day we live in, right? We like don't talk about being sick anymore that much. I read yesterday, there's a brand new anxiety disorder. You're welcome, counselors. Job security, okay? And it's around the fear of being sick, like a debilitating fear of being sick that people will not leave their homes after this pandemic because they're so fearful still of getting sick. This is, a, this is a big deal. We have just walked through a worldwide pandemic, right? And even if you're like, God oh, didn't affect me. Yes, it did. It affected you. I promise you it did. I've been telling people, this is like the, the World War II of this generation. Honestly, like we will, the history books will tell that this was a traumatic moment for our world, for our country, for our homes, right? If you don't think it was traumatic, ask your kids who had to stay at home with you for a while. It was traumatic, okay? <laughs> so that's what I want to talk about this morning is sickness. I want, I want to talk about our health uh, because sickness is part of life. Like one of the things we're going to have to get back to is like, hey, I'm, I'm sick and I'm not feeling well. By the way, there's some good things we learned about sickness, right? Like some things we should have learned. Like if you sneeze, wash your hands. I don't know why it took a pandemic to learn that, people. Okay? Right? It, like if you have a 103 fever, you should stay home. Like you don't get a badge of honor because you didn't miss, didn't miss church or didn't miss work with your 103 temperature. Just stay home. My favorite was don't touch your face. That was actually for me. I had to put a cone around my neck sometimes like the dog and like so I wouldn't touch my face. Things that we should have learned during this moment of sickness. But being sick is part of life, isn't it? It's part of life. Eventually we'll get back to this spot where we can say that's, it's part of life. 
It's what happens. Our bodies break down and then we get medicine or we just naturally get over that and get healthy. That is a part of life. I want to take a look at a little passage today and I want to talk about health. Maybe not that kind of a health, but but stay with me and you'll, you'll find out. Mark chapter two. Mark chapter two, 13 through 17. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he, ca- he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I want us to ask some more health questions, but I think this one might be a little bit of a right turn. And and here's the question. How healthy is your soul? How healthy is your soul? Or, Or better yet, let's say this. How sick is your soul? Okay, turn to your neighbor and say, you're so sick. Just kidding, don't do that. This, okay, just, my, my, my daughter, true story. My daughter, when I said that in the first service, leaned over to my mom and she was like, I think daddy means sick like awesome, right? <laughs> <laughs> so how healthy or how, how sick is your soul? It's kind of a strange question, isn't it? We don't, we don't talk about our souls very often, but it has become something that I have been super interested in. Like, what is the state of our soul? Not necessarily our mind or our body, but somewhere in there, somewhere, somewhere intermingled in that is our soul, kind of the essence of who we are. How is that with you right now? John Wesley uh, was, a, was a preacher uh, back in the day and, and he gathered great crowds and, and shared the, the, the salvation story with many, many people. Um, we are actually part of a tradition out of which John Wesley started. Uh, and John Wesley used to get together with small groups or bands of people, he called them. And the first question that they would ask when they would get together is, how is it with your soul? It gets to something deeper in our lives. How healthy or how sick is our soul really? Part of what I want this morning is for you to take an honest evaluation of the health of your soul. The health of your soul. How healthy actually is your soul? One of the other reasons we went to Colorado this past week is Lori and I got to spend a couple days with Lance and Connie Witt. Um, Lance has this ministry called Replenish, which is a little bit of soul care type stuff and then life planning. And so we got to spend two days with Lance and Connie, Lori and I did, uh, just talking about the future and talking about our dreams and aspirations and, and how God has wired us. And we just had a, an amazing time with them. I, I would like to highlight the book, um, Your One Life by Lance Witt. Your One Life, I would check that out, pick that up. Um, we had a phenomenal time with Lance. He, he was the former uh, pastor, uh, executive pastor of Saddleback Church 
in Orange County, California, a big, big church, I don't know, like 30, 40,000 people. Um, and now he does this ministry for pastors and their wives and their families. And so we got to spend two really amazing days with him. Uh, and, and, and toward the end of our time together, I said, I said to Lance, Lance, can you talk to me a little bit about soul care more? Because there was something about Lance, like he wanted to know the deeper things of my life and the deeper things of Lori's life. And he just, he just seemed to like go there every single time in every single conversation. And I said, how do, you, how do you help people take an evaluation of their soul? How do you help people lean into examining one's soul? And so he gave me a list of questions that he would ask to help us evaluate our souls. One of them he said is, ask people about how their time with the Lord is honestly. Like how is your time with the Lord, whether that's devotions in the morning, prayer at night, prayer uh, maybe before meals, how is that time honestly? Like are you hearing from the Lord or is it just a one-way conversation? Are you taking time with that? Is it nurturing your soul? Do you feel refreshed after your time with the Lord? Are you like, I don't know what time with the Lord means, Brian? right? How is it with your soul? He said this, ask them how they're spending time in silence and in listening for the voice of God. One of the things we talked about often was how distracted we are, how distracted I am. I get stuck in the whirlwind of life, just like you do, right? And I have all these competing voices saying, you should do this. I need you to help with this. I need that. I need this. But, but do you still yourself to hear the voice of God in the midst of the whirlwind, in the midst of all our distractions? Uh, he, he asked us to that point, how are you doing with your screen time? How is technology informing your life and how is it shaping your life? Are you taking proper time away from that? Are you unplugging? Are you unplugging from your technology so that you can plug in to God properly? How, how's your internal script? There's another question he asked. What's the story that you're telling yourself and is it true or is it a lie? Is it a story that God has shaped or is it a story of lies that you and others have misshaped? Uh, what may not be healthy in your past, in your soul that you need to work on? There's another question he asked me. What, like, Help people understand that their pasts inform the stories that they tell. And, and what, what might not be healthy that your soul is still holding on to, that your soul is still struggling with? He said, ask them how their rhythm of life is. Do they feel frantic and hectic? Like there's too many things. Are they overwhelmed? Or are, are they in some sense, are they at peace with the world around them? What is their rhythm of life? What is their habit of life? What are their external and internal rhythms? We spent a long time talking about the state of one's soul and, and both Lance and I have deep concerns that we're not asking enough questions about the state of our souls, especially within the church. And so that's what I want you to take an inventory of this morning. And, and, and one of the ways I want you to do it is I want you to do a healthy soul test, okay? So maybe none of those questions quite perked your interest, but I would want you to take a healthy soul test, okay? 
And I'm gonna borrow from another piece of scripture from the fruit of the spirit. And I'm gonna ask you this, how much love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are evident in your life. Take a look at that list. How, how much of that is evident in your life? Is there anything missing on that list in your life? How would the people sitting next to you answer that question about your life? That you're loving, that you're joyful, that you're patient, that you're kind, that you're, that you're gentle, that, you're good, that, you, that you have goodness coming out of you, that you're self-controlled and that you're faithful. How much of that is evident in your life? I'm gonna be honest, I'll go first. When I look at a list like that, I'm convicted. I am, I'm, I'm like, ah, I don't, I don't know if that's full. I don't know if that's fully evident to others that those fruit are, are, are pouring out of me all of the time. I want to take a personal inventory on that and say, I, how well is it with my soul? And I would ask you to be honest as well. How is it with your soul? Are those the things that are coming out of your soul? Is that the fruit that is being produced out of your soul? I got an illustration. Stay with me. It's a little bit of a right turn. Potatoes, okay? I know. Not a fruit. I get it. Not a fruit. But ask my father-in-law. They're amazing, okay? Better than fruit, potatoes. Why? Because he raises them uh, and ain't no potato like a Kim Seed potato. That's like a song or something, right? Okay. <laughs> and I have learned so much about potatoes, which uh, from a guy who grew up in sort of downtown Denver, this is an unexpected twist in my story, okay? I did not expect to know all I know about potatoes, but I married a potato farmer's daughter. And so uh, here's some things about potatoes. Now, the potato farmers in the room, they know more than me. They're going to they're gonna fact check me here and it's okay. All right. Do you know how many, how many varieties of potatoes there are? A lot. Okay. I know you're thinking on a number. I don't even know the number. Okay. There's a lot. I used to think potatoes came from a box. Can I be honest with you guys? I was like, those are stovetop, right? Stovetops, no, okay, all right. No, there are lots of varieties. I'll give you a couple. There are umatillas, russets, clearwaters, reds, Yukon golds. There's even purple potatoes. I talked to a potato farmer afterwards and he was like, that's about 25% of the varieties I know, Brian. I was like, I know, that's all I could come up with, right? There are a lot of different Potatoes. And, and, and potatoes are interesting because um, they don't come from a potato tree. I know, it was shocking to me as well, okay? They don't. Potatoes are grown uh, underneath a plant. So if you drive out uh, during the summer or into the uh, fall, you'll see these mounds and then you'll see these green um, um, plants and oftentimes those are potato plants and the potatoes are not up on top, they're down in the soil. And so what's interesting about potatoes is that the soil, the conditions of the potato are really important. Like if you talk to a farmer and you would say, hey, do you make potatoes grow? They would say, no, 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 no. I don't make potatoes grow, but I do produce a, 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 a good environment 
for them to grow in. So, so you know what matters to potatoes? Well, the soil really matters to the potatoes. Is it, is it too sandy? Does it have too much clay in it? How, how much water is in it? Potatoes are super needy. Like they need to be watered all of the time. And, and so they need tons of care. They, they, need, they need to be nurtured in the ground. But a true farmer would say, I can't produce that potato. The potato produces in some ways itself. I just have to create the environment that it would produce in. It's like that with our souls. That's the point. It's like that when we look at the fruit of the Spirit. You don't produce the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is produced in you when you create an environment, a good environment for that to grow. An environment that would nurture that growth. An environment of habits and rhythms that would allow that fruit to be produced in your life. The right amount of water the right amount of sunshine, the right kind of soil. So take an inventory. How, how is it with my soul? Are the conditions around my soul uh, in a good place so that they might produce fruit? I want to look at this story a little bit more to unpack um, how we might deal with the fact that some of us may not be as healthy as we want to be right now. So verse 16 says this. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So, so let me set the stage. So Jesus is teaching. He calls Levi, who is a tax collector, who is, by the way, the wrong guy to call, Okay. They didn't like tax collectors just as much we don't like them now, okay? Right? It's just how it is. And so Jesus goes to Levi, says, hey, Levi, I want you to follow me. And Levi apparently is so excited about this, he throws a party at his house. So the scene is this. There's this big table, and Jesus is partying with the sinners and the tax collectors, right? With the wrong people. And the Pharisees are outside, and they're looking in, and they're like, why is he in there with them? The famous them. You know what I'm talking about? Like who's the them in your life? You know what I'm talking about. The them, those people, the wrong people, the kids that I do not want my kids to hang out with, those kids. Who are those kids in your life? Here's the interesting thing about them and those. Um, Ben Sass wrote a book called Them. He's a Nebraska politician, so I'm, I'm going to tread carefully, okay? All right? Um, but he wrote a book called Them, Why We Hate and How to Heal. And what he notices is that we do this. We categorize people, and we call them them. But the interesting thing is you're them to somebody else. You ever think about that? Like if you've got a list of like those people, guess what? Somebody's got a list of those people and you're on that list. That's just how it works. See, we are them. We are them. And we need to be really, really careful when we jump into the game just like the Pharisees did and say, 
Why is Jesus hanging out with them? Doesn't he understand that they're the bad ones and we're the good ones? That's what they're saying. They're pointing this out to his disciples. Doesn't, why isn't he hanging out with us? They got a little FOMO going on here, okay? The fear, like, fear of missing out. They're like, hey, 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 Jesus, why are you hanging out with those people, those bad people? Don't you understand? The good people are out here. Here's the point. Being good isn't enough. This series is about what is, who is enough. Being good isn't enough. Being good isn't enough. The Pharisees are saying, we're the good ones, they're the bad ones. Jesus, you should be hanging out with the good ones. And sometimes I think that's what we settle for as Christians. We just want to be gooderly. <laughs> that was from Kurt. I got Kurt. I got you, Kurt. Gooderly, right? We just want to be good. We want to be better. And so instead of embracing the fullness of what Jesus has to offer, instead of sitting at his table, we just sit on the outside, looking in the window, pointing at all the bad people and saying, I'm, it's a good thing I'm not part of them. It's a good thing that I'm the good people. But, but here's the deal. How does that work? How good is good enough? Andy Stanley famously did a whole sermon series on this. How good is good enough? Like, how good do you have to be to get into the kingdom of God? Like, good, like, most of the time? Like, good, like, half the time? Like, if we pile up all your sin, okay? And then we pile up all the good things you've done. If, like, the good outweighs the bad, is that how you get into heaven? You're like, St. Peter, I don't know the password, but I did a lot of nice things for people. Is that how, is that how it works? Because I think... Sometimes, that, sometimes that's how we treat it. That's how the Pharisees were treating it. The Pharisees were saying, listen, Jesus, we're the good people. Don't you understand? You should be with us. But Jesus knows being good isn't enough. I'm not advocating for you to be bad, by the way. I'm not. But sometimes we get it all messed up. Like we put all the pressure on ourselves. Like we need to be the good one. We need to be the change. We need to be the one that fixes things. We need to be enough. Some of you wake up every day and you like silently tell yourself, be enough today. Be enough today. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying you have, to have a, a healthy sense of confidence in who God made you to be, but notice how I even said that. I don't care if you have a healthy sense of who you think you are. I want you to understand who God thinks you are because God thinks you're way cooler than you do. He does. He died on the cross for you. You wouldn't do that for you, I promise. But he did. So being good isn't good enough. We've got to stop with the lie of humanistic deism that's therapy on the side. Humanistic deism with therapy on the side. That we just, we believe in the goodness of humanity. And if we just get good enough and smart enough and doggone it, people will like us. If we get that, then we can finally fix things. Because if we just turn into enough, it's going to be great. We don't, we don't need that, you guys. It's not going to fix things. We don't need to be enough. In, in fact, it puts an unreal amount of pressure on us that we cannot handle. I'll give you a really tangible example. I went to a kindergarten graduation a couple years ago. It was at a school that does not have much to do with God. 
a kindergarten graduation. These kids get up there and um, they start singing this song at the kindergarten graduation. Uh, We've got the whole world in our hands. And I was like, that is not the version I learned when I was little. I was like, the version I learned was, he's got the whole world in his hands and it's talking about Jesus. Instead, these kindergartners stand there going, we've got the whole world in our hands. And I'm like, what is that? That's a lot of pressure to put on a five-year-old, isn't it? Like, I don't think they understand what they're singing. Like, they hold the world in their little five-year-old hands. It's a lot of pressure to put on a five-year-old, right? But that's what I'm talking about. It's the illustration. And this has infiltrated the church. This has infiltrated our society. We believe that there's like some power that like wound it all up and started it all up. But really, it's all up to us. And once again, I'm not saying don't be responsible, but I'm saying you got to get the order right, you guys. Like a five-year-old can't carry the responsibility of having the whole world in his hands and neither can you. Like you have a hard time getting your taxes done, right? Like you have a hard time keeping your promises, right? You, you have a hard time with fulfilling the promises that you make, Right? So we need, we need something that's actually enough. And I want to I wanna keep doing this throughout the series. I want to take the pressure off of you. Like you don't need to be enough. Stop acting like the world turns because you woke up this morning. It doesn't. It would have without you. And it will without you someday. You do not be, need to be enough. Just being the best version of you, the goodest version of the gooderliest version of you. That is not what you need to be. And I think it actually gets more complicated. You gotta come back for next week for this. But the Pharisees are the ones saying this and they're the religious people, which tells us that we're more susceptible to this than anybody else. That we think if we cross all the religious T's and dot all the religious I's, that somehow we will become good enough that somehow we can save ourselves. Bob's gonna be talking about that next week, how religion isn't good enough either. So, so we need something else. Let's continue. Verse 17, on hearing this, Jesus says to them, says to the Pharisees, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Listen, listen, it is not the healthy who need a doctor. Jesus is saying, he's the doctor. You're saying, I don't need you, Jesus. I'm fine, I've got it, I'm healthy, I'm good. You don't leave room for Jesus to help you. Like if you think you're enough, you don't leave room for God to be enough. Let me say that again. If you think you're enough, you leave very little, if any, room for Jesus to be enough for you. But instead, Jesus says, not for the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Here's the big idea. Jesus is enough for our sick souls. So this takes humility on our part. You need to admit that you're sick. Like, I I know it's not popular to talk about being sick anymore, right? We need to do that in this room. You need to say, my soul is sick. My soul is sick. My soul is broken. 
Bob talked about this last week. He said, you need forgiveness. And I want to go one step further than that. You need forgiveness, and then you need Jesus to put you back together. Like to make you whole, to heal you, to fix you. And, and you know, the picture is so great. Because you've got these religious leaders who are outside, and they're pointing their finger. You can almost see it. They're pointing their finger in, Right? And they're like, those people in there, those bad people, those sick people in there. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's what my table's for. That's what my table is for. Come, you who, you who are weary. Come, you who are thirsty. Come, you, you who have nothing, nothing to use to buy, to eat and to drink. Come, come and sit at my table. Because Jesus is enough for our sick souls. Jesus invites you to his table. Isn't that incredible? Louis Giglio, one of my pastors, I, like, I love listening to Louis Giglio. He, he talks often about who's sitting at your table. Like what are the voices around your table? Who are you allowing to sit at your table? Are you allowing the enemy to pull up a seat at your table and whisper in your ear? Or are you sitting there staring into the eyes of Jesus, listening to his voice? These are those practices that Lance and I were talking about dwelling upon. You can't do this in a hurried fashion. You can't get this on Google. You can't get this on YouTube. You can't get this in the frantic pace of your life. You can only get this by slowing down, pulling up a chair at the table of Jesus and listening for his voice. And that would change everything for some of you. If you could hear the voice of Jesus saying, you're my beloved. In you, I am pleased. I made you. You have a purpose. I see things in you that you don't even see. And I want to make you whole. I want to heal you. I want to put you back together. That's the invitation and I think sometimes we just stop short at forgiveness. We, like, we get done with Bob's sermon last week and we're like, forgiveness, yes, forgiveness. No, 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 wholeness out of forgiveness. Forgiven and made a new creation. That you would have a new identity as his because Jesus is enough for your sick soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for humility in this moment, for us to be humble enough to admit to you that we don't have it. To admit to you that we are in need of you. To admit um, that some of our souls are weary and fractured that some of our souls are burned out and Jesus that we need refreshment that only you can give Jesus I pray that, that you would soften our hearts to this 
And I pray, Jesus, that you would allow us to come to your table, to see your goodness shared with us around that table, like, like a banquet feast, God, that we may dwell upon your goodness. that we would hear your voice speaking loudly to us in the midst of our distracted lives. Jesus, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that it runs out to us, it brings us into the house, and it sits us at your table. Please make this picture vivid in our lives this week. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you. The best place to do that is journeyweb.net. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net. Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.